Hui Maliola proudly presents Leo Kupa, a Ho'olono Mai, the thought-provoking podcast on perpetuating Hawaiian healing and wellness. Brought to you this month by Mamalani, all-natural deodorants, body powders, and body products. Aloha in a packaging handmade by Hawaiians. Use the coupon code Leo Kupa for a 10% discount at mamalani.com. Financial Benefits Insurance, specializing in Medicare, life, and health insurance. Helping to educate our communities to maximize their benefits. Benefits are our business service sets us apart. Visit Financial Benefits Insurance at FBIHI.com. The Indigenous Soap Company. Created on the island of Oahu, the Indigenous comes from their passion in using native medicinal herbs and oils from all over the world. Use the coupon code LEOCUPA for a 20% discount at IndigenousSoap.com. Alana Natural Therapy in Town and Pico Akea Therapeutic Lomi and Rehabilitation Massage in Kailua. Lotus Blossom in You, Lomi Lomi Ho'oponopono, Farm La'au Lapa'au, Dula and Paliwahine Birth Support Services. Use the coupon code LEOCUPA for a 10% discount at thelotusblossominyou.com. LEOCUPA is hosted by Kamakanuya Ha'ilono Jingao. Na kupu na mahalo piha e ho mai kai 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 kama yo nia uko nia ma nia ka ko a mama uano e ho o man we ka ko aloha e ho olono mai. Welcome to Leo Kupa from us at Hui Mauliola. The mission of Hui Mauliola is to perpetuate Hawaiian healing and wellness and empowering our people through healing. This Leo Kupa podcast is a way of capturing the stories of empowerment from our kupuna and practitioners in our community. Today we have a special guest and friend, Nkumu joining us, Anakala Dennis Kawahi. Aloha. Hi, aloha. Anakala Dennis was born and raised on the west end of Kauai in the rural plantation town of Kekaha. <clears throat> this provided him with a rich multicultural environment of living and learning respect and appreciation from his own cultural background, as well as for other ethnic groups within his community. His foundational spiritual teachings in both Christian and traditional Hawaiian culture, language, and ohana were provided by his parents, Herbert Haokawahi, and Christabel Kaanohi Okalani Holt Kawahi. He graduated from Waimea High School in 1963 and furthered his education at Willamette University, attaining a bachelor's degree in sociology in 1967. He attended the University of Hawaii School of Social Work and graduated with a master's in social work degree in 1970. Since then, until his retirement in 2012, Dennis has worked with the Queen Liliokalani Children's Center, providing culturally-based social work-based healing practices to a wide range of communities. He has received mentorship to ho- on Hawaiian healing cultural knowledge and practices from four recognized and renowned Hawaiian cultural experts, Timari Kavanapukui, Nahale Elua, Mahuiki, and Malia Craver, 
and Uncle Danny Hanakahi. Dennis's interest and commitment continues to be particularly with our males, helping all males with our community to bring their gifts and talents to the leadership of family, community, and state, and through the strengthening of themselves and Ohana. Um, recent awards and affiliations in 2012, the Papa Ololokahi Native Hawaiian Health Award for ongoing dedication to improving the health and well-being of Kanaka Maoli. 2012, the Hawaii National Association of Social <coughs> Workers Lifetime Achievement Award for contributions made in the field of social work for the enhancement and well-being of individuals and families in the state of Hawaii. In 2013, the Honpa Hongwanji Mission of Hawaii, Living Treasurer of Hawaii Award for unique accomplishments and contributions made toward enriching our society. 2012, a board member of Ahakane Organization focusing on the development of male leadership in our families, communities, and states. Leo Kupa, let's welcome Uncle Dennis Kawahi. Uncle Dennis, continue with that intro and take us back to Kekaha and growing up on mm. Kauai and how you got introduced to our Hawaiian healing practices and Ho'oponopono. Okay, mahalo nui loa ia oe kamaka no ki ia ia hana nui, ki ia hana pono e ka ho'opa e ka ka mo'olelo o nga kupuna no nga hanao na no nga the children that are, that are coming. Um, Kikaha was an interesting place because it was a multicultural plantation town. <coughs> and Hawaii, Hawaiian families were a minority in that community. You know, um, I think about 15% maybe. So you, you learned cultural appreciation because people were still separated in different camps when I grew up. Japanese camp, Filipino camp, Haole camp, Hawaiian camp. But you cannot help but interact, you know, with the with the community. And plant, the plantation, I think, is a foundation for our state today, a multicultural state, and how we're able to get along with each other. Um, so that part of the that part of my upbringing, I was very appreciative of, uh, you know. And we were always taught that when you go to other people's homes, particularly different cultures, you do not refuse their food because that's the first thing they're going to offer you, something to eat. Yeah. And you respect their ways. We were taught that very young because the plantation people, they have to work together, you know. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of oppression, if you know the history of plantation and the beginnings of the unions that really kind of inhuli that so that people could get a fair wage and they could get be treated equal. But it was because of the multi, multi, multicultural, I think, relationships that they were able to organize and actually get a better, better working and living conditions for our, our, our people, all of the people. On the other hand, um, there were pockets of Hawaiian communities, like in Waimea Valley, where my father would take, take us. And there, you would immerse yourself in the Hawaiian culture. The Valao Hawaii, uh, the certain celebrations that primarily Hawaiian families would be there. So 
we kind of were living in two different worlds, you know, one of the multicultural and as well as the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian world. So I grew up, my, my dad was a real strong proponent of you better know who you are, even though ethnic, oh, ethnicity was, you know, English on my mother's side and Hawaiian and Chinese. My dad was Chinese Hawaiian. He told us, you got to choose. And I'm choosing for you guys, you guys are Hawaiian, basically. <laughs> <coughs> Mainly my brother and I, the youngest in the family, that's what he did. He said, I want you guys to grow up confused. Appreciate your Chinese style, you folks are Hawaiians. So early on, we, it was in our head. I never asked him, what does it mean to be Hawaiian? Because our kupunas then didn't tell you. you. You just better do what they say. And as you live, then you know what it means to be Hawaiian. So grew up with a strong sense of ethnic, identified myself as a Hawaiian. And at times that, that created some problems for us because Hawaiian kids never do that well in school. You know, then and even now, if you look at the statistics. But in a sense, our saving grace was my dad was Kakulika, he was Catholic. Even though I was uh, baptized as a Kalavina, which is a Hawaiian Protestant, my mother's side of the family. But he sent us to Catholic school, me and my brother. <laughs> we survived it. But Catholic school was so advanced academically. And the Catholics, I still respect the nuns very much, even though they use corporal punishment quite often. They never care who you are. All of you, you come there, they expect you to perform. Okay, you Japanese, holy, Catholic, whatever, you are expected to perform. So, in that respect, expectations were pretty clear. So, I, we felt we, had, we got a good education through the Catholic school. And it showed when we went to high school, we were kind of advanced. And that's unusual for Hawaiian kids at the time because not all, but a lot of Hawaiian kids had a hard time uh, academically. And, and uh, we were spared that, I think, because we went to Catholic school. And at the same time, hanging on to our Hawaiian cultural values. So that, that's probably the greatest lesson, I think, I carry with me from the community that I was raised in and that I appreciated all the different cultures and because my best friends, they, they, they all spoke their mother tongue, Okinawan or Filipino. And most of their parents were from the old country. Mm -hmm. You know, they were like the first generation there. So really interesting, like when Ho'olawe was an issue, uh, I used to talk to them. They don't want to understood, you know, because their parents were oppressed. Their parents had struggled. And so when I talked to them, they said, yeah, yeah. They said, you know, you guys got to find your way, but we understand. Because they were strong in their culture. They understood what us as Hawaiians were going through. And that's a gift, I think, that most of the plantation systems can offer to us. And that's why we relatively, relatively racial free in Hawaii. We get some we get some prejudices, but by and large, it's a good place over here. 
I mean, people respect each other, you know, because you grow up with them. So that's a lesson, it's a good lesson, yeah. I think, for all of us. Um, but the, the learnings that I had was basically from the family. You know, my, my parents. My grandparents were on, my dad was from Oahu. He's not a Kauai, Kauai boy. And in fact, graduated from McKinley. My mom was from Kauai. And he went there in the 30s to, to work when they were developing the harbors. They never get too much jobs. That's how he ended up there. So my grandparents, on my dad's side, you know, people didn't travel that much. In fact, those days was by boat when I was very young, and then shortly after. So we didn't get a chance to see them that often. My grandfather on my mom's side lived on Kauai, but he lived in Lihue. We lived in Kekaha, what, 30, 40 miles. In those days, it's like, it's like a half a day trip, you know. It wasn't until later that he sort of lived with us when I was in high school. So as far as learning from my grandparents, I didn't have the opportunity because I'm the youngest of eight children. The older ones had, but by the time I came around, they, they didn't move around too much. They were a lot older, so I learned mainly from my, my parents and some of their friends, Hawaiian friends, the cultural elements. Mm -hmm. um, most of us had a great desire to, to get educated because living on a plantation is great, but opportunities are very, very limited. You either work for the plantation or you don't. <laughs> so I, I really wanted to go to college. Parents couldn't afford it. Uh, it was, so athletics was the way for me to afford it. And that was the, one of the first, uh, I think, cultural Ho'oponopono experiences that I had that came out of athletics. I think I shared it with the Ho'oponopono class, but I kind of want to share it now. Yeah. And, and as a senior in high school, uh, I already had a lot of offers for basketball. I was a basketball player. And in the preseason, fell down and broke my wrist. And we were just fooling around, shooting baskets. We all fell down, piled up, laughing. Thing broke in nine different places. That's unusual, very unusual. And I didn't see how I broke it. We just fell down. You know, I braced myself. Well, found out later that that was, the injury was not really a physical injury caused. It was caused spiritual, you know, and that's when it really, I understood all about spirituality and how if you, if things are not right, you got to set the spirit right first before you go heal. And if you don't, sometimes physically you get hurt. You know, we grew up with that. We knew that. We went fishing, we went diving. We better make sure things are settled with our family so that we don't take that you know, that anger or that kamaha with us in the ocean, somebody get hurt. And so we kind of taught that very young, 
before you go in Awara or before you go, you talk to your friends and say, everything I write without, yeah, okay, we're at home. And as you get older, teenager, you forget about those things. You know, if you offended somebody, I, I brush it off, you know. So when I got injured, stopped all my plans for college because this was like October, I think, or September, and the, the, the medical doctor told me, now we have use of your hands. Your hands will get frozen. They're going to lock it up, put pins in I didn't believe that, so I told my mother, go take us to our family healer. Her name was Ida Kaiva. I forget it. She, she is the one we went to before we went to the medical. From Kekaha. Kekaha, yeah. Kekaha. She did everything from La Aokahea to Lomi to Opohuli uh, or Oponopono. You see, most people think guys only do Oponopono. But the ones that I knew, they were La Aokahea, they, they, they knew herbs. They, they also could do Ho'oponopono. Uh, if it was a higher level problem for La'ao, they would ask somebody else. But they had all of these skills. Mm. Because whatever they needed, they had it there in the yard. They grew all the herbs. And, and this gal, so when I came to her with his broken arm, wrist, I mean, immediately she told me, you get pilikia. And I told her, yeah, I got a big pilikia, my hand broken. <laughs> she told me, no. You and your family need to go home on the polo. She said, this is not a physical thing. I didn't believe her. I was young, arrogant. Yeah, I can understand that when you're young. Yeah, I was pissed off. You know? Oh, man, I can't play basketball, blah, blah. I think I was 17 years old. So I thought, well, what do you mean? And she knew me from when I was a baby. And she told me, you, make ah, ah, ah. I said, you be humble now. But I was angry. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm humble. But they tell me, what is this and who's responsible? I wanted to know who with Hana Inu me. And she told me, you. I said, I don't think so. I said, okay. And, and my mom was there with me. So she said, you go home and you think about it. <coughs> no, man. The next day I told her, well, let's go back because my hand is freaking swollen up. And, and then I went back and I told her, I, I read it to, I read it to see what I did wrong. And, and, she, and, and then we went into it, we, you know, without talking about the actual, because it involved family members and we, we, we begin to settle the issue. Part, partly was me for being arrogant, saying things that you really don't know you're offending people, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and I thought I had to face different people. And she told me, no, you have to face yourself. That was very interesting. And she said, you have to ask forgiveness for what you did knowingly or unknowingly. And, and we went through a process, a whole open up on process. And, and uh, <clears throat> she said, now the healing can begin, the actual physical healing. And uh, my mom had talked to the, the other family members. 
And she said, for at this point in time, it's enough. Now we concentrate on your healing your hand. And she used a number of techniques. The first technique she used was la'okaya, which she didn't even touch my She just sprayed over it. And, and what I remember is, <clears throat> and she asked me to pray and ask for healing while she's and she told me to let go all of what you get in your mind if there's anger whatever let it go and just humble yourself so I, with, with great difficulty as a teenager I did that but in the process of she pulle in the which means she just ran her hand over the injured area but not touching it mm-hmm. I could feel the the heat you know it came warm not like I'm burning warm but just warm I think more circulation five times <coughs> she did it five times five times in that same day or no or five days five days yeah five days and then uh, braced it and then put some I think it was laukahi I forgot wasn't interested in that yeah, yeah. laukahi wrap and she had my father make one splint he made one splint for me and she said no move on. after the fifth day and, and she asked me to eat certain foods not too much red meat uh, fish which was good and after the fifth day she said leave the splint on for another few days then go down to the ocean. You know where the, the, the wave meet the sand? Kind of wet. Mm-hmm. She said, dig, in, dig into the wet sand. With that hand? The other hand. Oh, with the other hand. Yeah. Dig. It was on my right hand, just my left hand. And she said, gently put your hand in there and put the sand back. And let, let the, the salt water, you know. She said, you're going to get all wet, but that's okay. And then she said, try to move your fingers. Just move them a little bit. Don't yank it out or just... So the thing was all like supported, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including the injured area. She said, move your fingers. She said, no more than about 10 minutes. And just take your time. And then dig your hand out. Wash it with the salt water. Pray for healing. Five times. She said, the fifth time, you're going to be able to grab this in. You know, so this, it was just a gradual process of getting the muscles. The bones are already fused. I mean, I, I learned later. She had fused the bones. Well, she's not her. She said, Kiakua. What I was doing was getting back the strength in the injured nerves and the tendons and the muscles. And after the fifth time, he said, okay, just move your hand now, like that. After about a week, she had me squeeze one tennis ball, you know. So I was back playing basketball two months where a medical doctor told me, oh, never play, never. He would lock my wrist with wires. Because it was such a bad break, it would, it would stay locked. I couldn't move it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so I told Ali Blair, she said, yeah, I'm not strong enough. I said, yeah, well, I'll come back in one week. 
So I was lifting weights, shooting basket. I go back, she said, I'm getting there, one more week. Then she said, but you still need one brace to protect it. She said, protect this area. So they've been hit, you know. And I played with a brace for oh, the whole season. So the, the, I guess the point of the story is, <clears throat> wasn't so much a physical accident. It was something within our family that was not right. And I was part of that. And I just happened to be that guy get injured, mm-hmm. you know. And, and immediately she knew, whatever medicine I give you, it's not going to work unless this is settled. And, and that was a lesson for me, you know, a hard, a hard lesson, but something that, that you learn to experience, you know. And, and uh, as an arrogant teenager, it helped me kind of mature. Mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't thankful for that until I got older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So through that whole phone phone process, was it? So you said, like, wasn't, like, the full family game together was... No. And you don't always have the full family, you know. And, and, and it started with me having to admit and, and accept my responsibility to, to whatever Billy Kia was with our family. And, and in those days, there's a lot of a lot of jealousy. Mm-hmm. It was very prevalent. And in hula, in you know, in, in a lot of the things, it, it, you got to watch what you say. You, you can offend people you don't even know you do, even your own family. The level of cultural practice and knowledge in the 50s, 60s was different than now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different, you know. Uh, first of all, not much was said. You find out by either learning... Or if you take it into confidence, Marco Puna, they'll tell you. But most of the time, they're not going to tell you until they figure that you will need to listen. It's a different, different level of learning. Um, now we explain a lot of stuff. We give concepts, we give principles. Those days you learn to experience. And they expect you. You know, it's like, and if you don't listen, and you make mistakes, then you suffer the consequences. <laughs> it's, very, it's different, different than now. Well, the level was deeper, so the consequences are deeper. You know, uh, like when we were told not to go certain places on Kauai. We disregarded when we were teenagers. My father told me not to go down by uh, Mana, it's especially Pokani nights. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah, okay, then. We just forget about it, and we went, me and my friends, and we go hunting at night for pheasants. <laughs> and we got we got chased by Uhani, Pokane night. Forgot about it. And he, he came and he told me, I was talking to him, he said, I, I did tell you not to go there and win. And I said, oh, I don't even remember. He said, well, you better. <laughs> yeah. He said, people have gotten hurt. I'm going to certain sacred places. I don't know if you get the same mana now, but certainly had it then. 
And these are multicultural, not just Hawaiians. Oh, we all knew that. Everybody knew. Oh, yeah. Fishermen, everybody knew. Don't go over there. No more moon, don't go there. Benefit, but don't go. And we're teenagers. We just went where the most isolated spots. We was in there for a good drink. The best place, and not knowing. Not knowing, but disregarding. <clears throat> so it's experiential. You experience. You learn to that. We didn't sit around and talk about cultural concepts. Uh, those days was, they tell you something, you better listen and figure it out. You know, uh, and if you don't, and you get, you get air hot, then they'll help you with the idea of I told you, you should have listened. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because it was more rural, more spiritual, a lot more uh, <clears throat> secret areas where nobody was around. Now we plenty of people different. Could those same teaching practices of like take place these days? You know what I mean? Because back then had a lot more time, no more as much distractions as today's. You know. I think the consequences of um, offending relationships are the same. You know. But we just gotta do it different because, uh, you know, you gotta talk more, you gotta explain more now, mm-hmm. because I could, the young people demand that they wanna know. You know, um, so if you don't say nothing, then they gonna seek the knowledge someplace else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it may not be the right one for them. So yeah, you gotta change teaching, mm-hmm. but it's still relationships. And that's always important, you know, it's like figuring out how to foster good relationships. You know, yeah. what kind of um, values did our kupunas or, you know, especially outer island, like what kind of um, these relationships that we build, you know, was there some things that stick out of building relationships on in Kekaha? Yeah, or? yeah I, I think, and, and probably not only in Kekaha, but you you. you you are really drilled in to have respect for elders, those that are older than you, those that have lived longer. Um, you start with your family, within your family, you know. The father is a head, that's a breadwinner. And that's what made me so interested in uh, working with Ahakani and what he wants to promote because I think a lot of our males have lost their, their role of leadership you know, in the family, and, and there's reasons for it, generational trauma, whatever, but, and, and I talked to all the people then, they're not interested in generational trauma. I remember one of the kupunas told me, hey, I don't like understand how us, how us men all got demoted to whatever. He said, right is right and wrong is wrong. You gotta take care of your family. You cannot beat up your wife, you know. He said, and you cannot, he said, drunk, no count. <laughs> That's the term they use. If you're drunk, you're drunk, no count. It doesn't count. You cannot use that as an excuse when you hurt your own family. Uh, and that's a profound statement. In other words, you take responsibility for what you did, or what you do, or what you never do. If you're the father, you're the leader in the family, you got to provide for them. You gotta protect them, and 
you got to listen to your partner because if you're too hard, you're going to lose your family, your children. You know, and, and, and it's later on, like, doing <coughs> Lua training where you got to get Hina and cool. It's not just one. You got to get that balance. And, and that's exactly what they were saying. You got to, as a father, yeah, you can be stern, you set the rule, but you got to know when to console and nurture and when to be hard and protect. He said, some are just one or the other. Mm-hmm. So that your children understand their pathway in this family. A lot of our Hawaiian males have lost that. You know, so it's important that we help them. Help them recapture what is what it means to be a Hawaiian male. It's not only being tough, but it's being being able to provide and and also see the soft side, you know, the Wahini side of you. And and most men they cannot see that. Of course they get Wahini in there. You know something wrong, you won't rock. You're too hard. (laughs) Gotta be able to go but you know, and and I remember talking to a group of men and tell me we're not Mahoons, I said, I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm talking about being able to give a balance to your family. If you own it a hard rock, well then they gonna consider you one Puaku. Pupakiki, you only hard. You know, with your children you gotta be able to do it's not about you, it's about your kids. Mm-hmm. And you gotta be able to be nurturing when they need that. You know. And any other um, important values? I know you mentioned nurturing, you know, provider as far as, like, for our makuakane, maybe, like, some young parents, you know, some young kane parents out there, you know, like, being the provider. You know what I mean? That's, you know, one of those things that is yeah. prevalent. But and, any other... And the provider is important, but remember that you're not the one that bore the children. They prob- the women are probably the most important. Without them, a generation will go on. They're the ones bear the child and provide them all the nurturing and the, the upbringing that they need to get to the point where they can become adult individuals, you know. So just because you provide, that doesn't make you better than your wife. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a dual responsibility each one just as important I think the mother is more important in the formative years you know so how I explained it to some of the men that I work with I said your job is to provide one environment so that they get a place for stay food and and you support your wife so that she can nurture your children they can get to the point where they can go into the holiday what is a halimua? I say, well, when they're going into manhood, they're going to learn how to be men or women. So you got to provide that environment and make sure they get enough to eat, places there, and the wife will nurture them. Then will come a time when you got to take them on the path for the men, the boys on the path of manhood. What does that mean? doesn't mean you're tough or you steal or... You know, so when I explained it that way, they said, oh, I feel God, I got a great winner, so without me, without, without me, they're not going to survive. I said, not really, so they can survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're there to provide that aim. But 
the formative raising of the children the first five years, seven, both you and your wife, but the wife is a primary. And I told him it's that way in all cultures, not only Hawaiian culture. So the Kani's responsibility is making sure you support your wahine. Yeah, and, and, and give them that environment. And then and you're the father figure. But if it's, if it's a boy, at some point in time, you're going to have to take that boy on the path of what it is to become a man. If it's a girl, the mother. If not the mother, they get aunties. Mm-hmm. Not the father, they get uncles. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Finding good and that's, that, that's why it is ohana. You know, uh, nuclear families is hard sometimes. So that's a different way of looking. I'm the provider. Without me, they starve. Yeah. A lot of guys tell me that. I said, no, that's how we get public welfare. Without you, they don't have the basic needs met, <laughs> but, but not on father. Yeah. And that's a basic, that's a basic need. Uh, so a lot of them embrace that concept. Some don't. You know, it's up to them. But how do you, I ask them, well, what are you going to teach them when they get to the age when the boy wants to learn he wants to be with his dad. What are you going to teach him? Well, I don't teach him how to box, how to be tough. I said, whoa. A seven-year-old boy, you like go out and start kicking boards and stuff. I said, what is that going to do? Go make him a tough guy. I said, you know what? You like train one fighter, they'll fight the rest of their life. There's always fights. You can look at somebody, stink eye, they'll fight you. You gotta teach them to be a man. Is when not to fight. When do you protect your family? You know, and that's not the most important thing. It's borderline paranoid when you teach them how to fight every time. How about you teach them how to uh, deal with aggression? You know, uh, when some boys bully them. You can teach them to protect themselves, but to defuse it. And if not, go to the right place where you can stop that. Because boys, it's a big thing for them, bullying. Mm-hmm. Really big for their own self-development. And and I said, are you going to there and beat up the kids that bully your son? Or you want to teach them to? That that's not the right thing to do. I said, you see what I'm trying to say? The path. What is the pathway? them to learn and, and I said there is no right pathway but we know some pathways lead to problems in later life for, for our children so I teach them developmental stages for for boys what do they go through and then the girls you know we know what that is too but and then at some point they gotta come and learn to respect the girls interact with them. So. Yeah. And then, you know, for um, <clears throat> getting back to the concepts of Ho'oponopono, since we're taking that mm-hmm. Ho'oponopono class, uh, shout out to Ahakane for creating that yeah. Ho'oponopono class, Kapahikawa, Kapahikawa project. And you want to explain a little bit about that, Kapahikawa? Yeah, the- the Kapahikawa, the 
Kiola used the term, well, first of all, he and Kamanao were talking about how they could count on their fingers the amount of Ho'oponopono practitioners that are still alive today. And this was about three years ago. So they made some inquiries with myself and Earl Kavala and, and said, would you guys be interested in being involved in a project that would perpetuate Ho'oponopono? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'd be, I'd be interested in that. And I said, I'm perpetuating it by trying to teach, you know, my own family and others that are interested. But with a focused effort, it's different. Where you get, you get on program, you have some goals and objectives, and you get some funding so that we can, we can provide the resources. So that seemed really kind of exciting. And the premise for Ahakani was to help a Hawaiian man become leaders in their family through the use of Ho'oponopono. Because traditionally, it was the men that did the Ho'oponopono. And that, that has changed over the years. Where most of the Ho'oponopono practitioners are learned from women because they held on to the practice. They held on to, they see how much it helped the family. And so we're so grateful for them to do that. Uh, so out of that came uh, the sense of urgency that Kamanao and, uh, and the Ahakane uh, board felt. So they they wrote on grant and went, up, went after resources from uh, ANA, uh, Administration of Native Americans. And then when that came out, I read the, the write-up. It's a pretty good write-up. It was focusing primarily on men. And I said, well, we can do, but men don't come out that often to learn this kind of stuff, so maybe we should go co-ed as well, which what we did. And he, we identify, identified, I think it was three, four, four Hakuhu Open the Corner practitioners, Howard uh, Pea on the Big Island, uh, Malina Kula Kukui from Oahu, myself, and Earl. And because I was from Kauai, I, I agreed to teach west side of Oahu and Kauai. Earl decided to teach Molokai because he's from and, and central Oahu. And Malina was Maui, which had a class over there. So the whole point was to reintroduce Ho'oponopono, get people to participate, and then uh, for a three-year Two and a half years. And hopefully out of that we will get people who would practice and continue. And and I can see where we've we've kind of met our goals, you know. Uh, what it did for us was help us force us to come together as Hakuhu Oponopuna and say, Oh, what's that you teach? What is important for you? And and what are your principles? You know, uh, who is your kumu? And amazingly, we're able to agree on fundamental principles, values, and agree to respect each other's style, which is different. And, and from the, the four people that I learned from, as well as from my parents, my parents' one was more family-oriented. Uh, the styles were very different. The, the concepts and the values were the same. 
most important thing in Ho'oponopono is spirituality. That if you want to set things right, then there has to be a recognition of a higher spiritual power. So, you know, the question then asked, well, can Ho'oponopono be done without spirituality? I said, no. No. Can. Yeah. It's, it, other interventions can, which I've learned as a you know, licensed social worker. I've, I've used many interventions, none of which have a spiritual base, mm-hmm. but it's still been effective. But Ho'oponopono, for those families and those situations that require that, spirituality is very important. So with all the kupuna and kumu that you studied with, that oh, was all, oh, oh yeah. all important to... Primary. Primary importance. Yeah, from the beginning. The pule. What is this problem? Mm-hmm. Help us to see. Uh, from the from the most elementary Ho'oponopono issue to kids bickering bully establishment of respect <clears throat> to the highest level of dealing with noho of spirits possessing others even more strong bully to, to place almost like a homana kapu on this process and what we're doing you're setting boundaries like if you when somebody say no he set the boundary and said, we're here to find out what this is in the name of Kyokua. And then we will address you, the Ohane. Why are you here? You deal with the family. We're here to strengthen this family and to stop things that are being said that tearing you guys apart within the presence of Kyokua. So it's like primary. Ho'oponopono. Mm-hmm. All the spiritual, spiritual yeah. component is very important. And, and an acknowledgement that whatever healing comes, it's not from you. You know, I, I'm comfortable when I, I read this bio. It was written by somebody else of me. <laughs> you know, kind of like bragging about the things you do. I, I, I just wasn't raised that way. Yeah. You know, like... All our accomplishments, like you guys think, oh, Brother Dennis, you did so much. I said, you know what? All the things that I achieve, especially working with families, I learn just as much as they learn from me. It's almost like one circular. I said, yeah, I develop skill and I, I know certain things, but it's like I get enriched because Kyokua is part of that. All of the kupunas that I, they tell me the same thing. Don't go see recognition. I said, I don't. It's not, not, not part of my DNA, you know. Um, but whatever you give, you give back. Just to see their families come together. And the respect they have for you, because you respect them. So it's almost like when you hola. You know, like somebody asked me, you know, you get drained. I said, yeah, sometimes, especially when I'm hitting my head against the wall. But when when <laughs> when I see the lanakila, yeah. when the pukachu, and I see the growth, I said, I get whole. Uh, you know, it enriches my life. 
and and yeah, I gotta do cleansing, spiritual cleansing, especially when there's very intense anger, it bounces off. But most of the time, it poopa, you know, and that's what being a healer is. You're not afraid, and you're willing to give, but you gotta strengthen yourself at the same time. And you cannot do it without kyoko. Mm-hmm. Cannot. That's how you define. I think. You set apart Hawaiian healing to Western. I'm not saying better than Western. No, they complement each other, but the depth of Hawaiian healing and the spirituality. I use spirituality because, you know, people from different religions, uh, but they all understand Kiakua and how Kiakua is a part of this process of healing. It has to be part of it. So these um, recognized and renowned uh, cultural experts, you know, I know we heard a lot of their names, but a lot of them have already passed on. (coughs) So maybe I can just shoot out their names and then you can (coughs) kind of shoot out some thoughts that come up, you know, when we talk about, like, someone like Anthony Mary Kavanapukui. You know, what's some thoughts that come out, come to your mind when you... What a wonderful woman. This one... Somebody you like learn from? She knows school. She knows school. No. I never used to learn how Kupunas was school me. I just uh, well, thank you, and they boot gone. <laughs> she knows school. And when I approached her, <clears throat> she would come to our organization once a week to participate in the cultural committee meetings. Where information was gathered from actual cases. And that was used as a basis to write, write Nana Ikikumo 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered to go pick her up and bring her to the committee and then take her home. And I asked the director at the time because, you know, I was one of the associates, oh yeah, you can do that. I said, yes, yeah, agency time though. He said, no, no, you go, that's how you can learn. I said, but whatever, like, stay at her place, stay as long as you like for that half a day. So me and Auntie Malia Craver, Auntie Auntie already knew her. We bring her to her house, we make lunch, and we'd sit, and we just talk to her. Wow. So the learning was like talking to each other. I ask her questions, and and she answer, and then she make jokes, we laugh. Ask her about Lua. She'd talk about it. Or I'd ask her about, uh, she was writing the book Olelo Noyao at that time. So she would show us her notes and read it and I'd say, Andy, I like, I like uh, hear some really funny kind of Olelo Noyao's. <coughs> she said, well, which kind? I said, that kind of, <coughs> and the men go fool around and they're not supposed to. She go, oh yeah, I get that kind. I never seen me the book. She go. See, I can give you one. She go. Pinana ikaniu lao. Always climbing the coconut tree. <laughs> I said, well, what does that mean? She said, one man who always jumping over the fence and climbing wahinis. We used to call him pinana ikaniu lao. I said, oh, how interesting. And then, uh, and I think it's in the palakahala, nanaho kamano. When the hollow flower blooms, 
the sharks will come in and bite. So beware. Don't go swim. You know, if it blooms in September, I swim they mate now. And I said, oh, so what else? She said, oh, she said, when the young girls bloom, watch out for the young boys. They like sharks. They'll come around and try to bite them to get in their pants. <laughs> she said, that, that was like the quote, Olelo Noel, they were thought. Oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Auntie Malia and I wrote it down, but I don't know. It's I, I have it someplace. But that was a kind of... Uh, Learning was, previ- I felt grateful to have, you know, could ask the question. Oh, yeah, blessings. Alo ke alo, face to face. Yeah, face to face. And, and um, we, we talk about Ho'oponopono. Um, I wanted to learn about Lua. This was in the 70s, like 71, 72. And she, she, she all our concepts. And, and, and she said, Lua is the last resort. He said, it's not something you invoke. You talk to people first before they get to the point where they got to use this martial art. And it, it made sense. Um, she was so interested in us. She would ask us, how are you doing? Uh, how's your first boy? You know, is he walking? They, they made you feel like you were important. And then, uh, and then we'd ask her for talk stories, you know, many, many stories. That that's how we learn from yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole part is sometimes we'd present cases to her. That I get this case, and Timali and I were doing conjoint. So I get this case. A girl is so hot head, not like this, and teenager. And all she said, "You got to be patient with the teenagers. They're ready for bus out, so stay with them." And you don't have all the answers for them, even though you think you do. The main thing is they aloha you and they respect you. And at some point in time, they're going to confide in you. You, you see that real experiential knowledge that she had. Um, so we had actual cases. We would say, oh, we get this. Well, what do you think about this? A couple of cases were because the names were cursed. You know, um, and she'd ask, ask the family what, where the name come from, and did did the curse or the bad things associated with that name carry through to this family? And and most of the Hawaiian families at the time felt, yeah, and there's nothing they can do about it. Well, she was the one that said there is, the remedies still exist. You know, a, a lot of Hawaiian families then or even now. The problem, like Richard Pagnilo and I always say, the problem exists, but the remedies are not there. Well, they don't know what the remedy is. So part of Ho'oponopono is teaching them what these are the remedies yeah. that you can do. And and that's how we learn from her. So from that, you know, if someone got like one name, how did she, what was her suggestions on how to... They would acknowledge first this name... Given to this boy has resulted in these happenings. And a lot of times it's because people feel the name is bad, they treat the boy bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's psychologically cared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, she would say, we sit and we understand 
how is this behavior related to this name? Uh, and if the family acknowledged, yeah, it's not it's something was brought from the past that they're perpetuating, then we okay. And the okay was a very simple. I asked that this name be cut, and all this is bad connotations. Heleaku one noah, so that this boy or this person has has a right to live his life to his full potential. So they'll give one new name, or yeah, give one new name. All right, I'm. You know, and say this is what it means. If the family want, yeah, but there's an okay to that. And and you got to make sure before you okay a name that that's a that's the right path, mm-hmm. and there's ways to do that, you know. So that's the remedy. Um, and and it's kind of practical, kind of simple, but yet kind of complicated, mm-hmm. because you need to do more assessment and ask them and go deep before. You come up with an an okay uh, solution because you don't want the solution to make things worse. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do any harm. In other words, so you gotta do your due diligence with that family and assess something they agree. So it takes some time. Then it's not yeah. something that yeah. just comes to you and be okay. Make a new yeah. name. Take time and take relationship where they trust you and they trust you. And how do you build that that trust? You stay know, stay with them, be present, stay with well, them long time. Make sure they invite you back. <laughs> then I invite you back. Then you can do nothing. And the, the first the first interview will tell you if you come in there, hoyo, and you get all the answers. They're gonna just say, oh, thank you. Uh, how about next week? Oh, we cannot. They trust you. They feel oh. This boy, maybe he don't know much, but oh, he get good heart. Then the relationship builds. All Hawaiian families are that way. Yeah. Relationship is what determines how the healing will occur. It occurs through the relationship. And with Kiyokua. You know, so I was lucky that the organization I work for allowed us time to build. You know, like a lot of the healing, a lot of the service organization. Okay, you get one interview to do your intake, establish what the problem is, and beginnings of a treatment plan. And you you start doing the treatment plan, the next interview, and you get five after to conclude it. It doesn't work that way. Let me take two, three, nine, you go there before. Mm-hmm. Before they really feel, oh, this guy maybe he can help us this person and that's the nature of Hawaiian families the nature of the culture we're basically insular they never ask outsiders for help they have their own kahuna within their family or, you know. so having one other person come in that they don't know so they'll ask you oh where you from I mean you're a social worker, there's some law violations for the kid, you have a whole bunch of questions you gotta answer. And and they ask you, Oh brother, where you from? And that is really they're trying to establish who you are, how we connected. You know, uh, 
Benny and Rufus are creating binder as well. Yeah. So before asking all those intake questions, you got to build the rapport and the relationship. Yeah, you, you can tell them flat out, you know what, I'm here for this. And you got any questions you like? Most of them say, what, what's your name? He said, oh, Kawaii. Who are you from? I said, Kawaii. Oh, I knew Kauai is down here, but not Kauai. So oh, my father is from there. Where? I said, oh, you grew up in Kaka'ako. Oh, my goodness. Our family, I'm from, was your father happy? I said, yeah. What is his name? I said, Herbert. Oh, I played against him, you know. Then we established, oh, at least we know. Yeah, we know each other. Yeah, each other. And then, then I go the into, trust. oh, I, I represent the trust. And our queen really love our children. And that's why we're here. Because, you know, brothers getting problems. And not a more, two more violation, you're going to call out. So what can we do to help you guys? Do? And already you can see, um, they sort of accepting you, you know. Um, and then sometimes I have to pull the man on the side and tell him. I say, you know, you tell me the truth, bro. I'm not here for undermine you, your bro, but things ain't happening between you and your boy. You know. And and he's he's going down one pathway, he's gonna end up, you know, under the jurisdiction of the court. This there's, there's certain things we can do if you're willing to be part of Some will say, you know what, no time off to do or others will say well, I appreciate your help, but, you know, I get one, I get one solution. So I thought, okay, what, what's the solution? I'm going to slap his head. I said, I know a solution. <laughs> I said, I know a solution. You can get more problem. You know, child abuse. I said, you tell me, you tell me. Then, then we talk. I said, I don't have the solution. I said, but together, us guys can find it. Uh-huh. You know, I said, but, bro, we got to pray first. I haven't prayed for years. I said, you don't have to. I'll do that. You see, introducing the concept of, wow, there's a higher power here. Maybe maybe he can open my heart to see. And then usually I do the pulley. You know, and in the pulley I state, it's like Kukulukumahana. You know, we come here because John Boy got in trouble in school. And we really like help him so that he doesn't go any further. Everybody cares about, you know, I'm, I'm just setting the stage and, and and then now I got the father that would say, okay, Kauai, you can come back. Yeah. You know. And if I don't can come back, you know like me, he's not going to say, you're not going to show up. <laughs> Somebody got in that there. No call, no show. <laughs> but I, I think the point is where when you talk about a spirit, the element of spirituality, it does set people to stop and think. And it is indigenous to our culture. Prayer, mm-hmm. prayer and puli. And, and it does set the tone of, well, we're all in this together. It doesn't stop the anger or the disappointment, but it gives you pause to say, well, whatever we do, then we do with this guidance. You know, Very important thing. Hard to initiate if they don't want to. And because we were a private organization, we didn't have to force ourselves on them unless the court ordered them. 
order them for services with us. And even then, I wouldn't force. No. So when uh, we hear the name Nahale Lua Mahuiki, what, uh, what thoughts come to mind? Or I learned from her all in Hawaii. She spoke. She, she preferred speaking in the language, so I had to really kind of learn the language again because I didn't, some things I didn't understand, so I would ask her, you know. I would never ask her to speak English. I would ask her to explain it to in me in Hawaiian. But that was her language, her preferred language. So she was like, Strong, oh, this one really, really strong person, spiritually. You know, not that kind of hellfire, brimstone, and you guys all going hell, or you know, just spiritually strong. You know, all that she did, all that she did in her pule, in in her style of ho'oponopono, was very um, perceptive. She she was at a high level, I felt, uh, where she would figure things out before the before the actual session to, to prayer and diagnostic questions. And she had Ike. Ike, Ike is like knowledge. Huh? Well, how they define Ike was Ike that you could see beyond this event, like maybe future, and say, okay, this is how it's going to turn out. Uh, different kind of Ike. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, conjures up someone who you would walk with her to the valley of death. I mean, she was that strong of a person. Uh, when I participated with her in Ho'oponopono for spirits, I didn't feel afraid, you know, even though everybody had to carry yourself through this because I think can lily on you if you're not ready. You know, even though she's conducting the Ho'oponopono on a, somebody that's no, If you're weak, the thing will go, ooh, <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't afraid of that, but because I was with her. Mm-hmm. I, I knew and she had a strong conviction to Kyaku. Strong, very strong. Uh, 24-7 guy. Um, and a very kind woman very kind and she teach all races down in Hawaii she made it very clear this is not only for Hawaiians if it comes from Kyakua she said it's for all of us you Hawaiians get more responsibility to learn because this is something for all but that doesn't make it exclusive but she still teaches with Hawaii too and then when she has other non-Hawaiians non-speaking she would speak in English, halting, but English. But nevertheless, she get a point across, you know. Uh, more by doing, did things, you know. Um, I think there was about five of us, but most of the time I wasn't in the class, I was working. So she and I was like one-on-one, or me and Auntie Malia. Was, Auntie Malia was very close to her. I was very close to her. When the whole concept of Ho'oponopono was brought up in the 
our organization to revive it. I was asked to be part of one of the young graduate students to be part of it. So I called my mom up. Come on, I like Lynn. Open the book. She told me, no. I said, what do you mean no? She said, you're not ready. You don't have a training spiritual direction. I said, this has nothing to do with it. This is all bono bono. We're going to use it for counseling and, you know, as part of our treatment. I already had my MSW. She said, no, I don't think you should. It's up to you, but I'm telling you no. I said, okay. I respect, so I told no. Why? I said, I'm not ready. I mean, I got other things. Little did I know that she grew up with the Hallelujah. They knew each other. They were close friends. Well, she was on the other side of Wainiha. Those guys were in Kikaha. So those days, you like on the other side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew of her. I met her when I was a young boy. Little did I know she would go talk to Nahalelo, who was living in New Uwano at the time, apartment. It's Kawai Kake's Hanai mother. So she and Kawai, the entertainer, lived in New Uwano in one of the apartments. So, Auntie Malia calls me. She, Auntie Malia was good friends with her. She said, oh, I'd like you to meet this lady from Kawai. I said, yeah, what her name? She said, Mahuiki. I said, yeah, yeah, I know the Mahuikis. From Wainiha, the old lady, Mr. Call, old lady, she said, That's the one. We will meet her. I said, Yeah, yeah, we are. I have her on party at my house. She lived in Manoa at that time. And uh, Kawanoe, Kimura, all the Hawaiian language guys, they all used to come there. This was in the 70s. So she said, Come, come, we're going to party. We want to go speak Hawaiian. The Hawaiian language student. I said, Oh, yeah, okay. So I went there and I was, I was drinking, playing music, and then, hallelujah, yeah, come here, boy, come here. Sit down, she said, how are you? I said, good, auntie, how are you? She said, you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. I said, you were my friend. She said, yeah. Well, you know, I, I teach that kind, you know, hope on the I said, yeah, I said, you like me, you come. What I had asked her. She could, she, she could teach me. And this was like one year prior. I said, yeah, Auntie. So you come up with Auntie Malia. Come to my house. I said, really? She's new one. I said, oh, it's five minutes from my office. And that's how I started training with her. The training, though, it wasn't like how I was training you guys in our class, you know. It is kind of, we bring lunch, sit down, talk story. She's sizing me up. Who is this boy? I know his mother, but is he, is he worth teaching or what, mm-hmm. what, you know? And apparently she was impressed because I was in her oil. And she said, oh, no, no, you come, me. I'll, I'll teach you. She started off with Lao herbs, which I wasn't interested in. So I helped her turn and I said, Auntie, I like learn that kind. She said, you need to learn this too. I said, yeah, yeah, I have some. Teach me that kind. <laughs> so she did. And then when my boys were sick, you know, need Opahuli, I'd take them there. And Diane would come with me. And finally she looked at my wife and she said, 
you, uh, let me see your hand. I said, my wife, nurse. She said, you get healing, you go do. And she taught her how to me. You know, low me, fupuli, low me. She said, you don't need to bring the boys here. Bring them to come see me, but not when they're sick. You can do it. So she taught my wife how to do that. And then I would go with her on different cases. You know, they call up and they're going to come. Oh, we're going. Uh, there's a big pelikia with this family. They ask if you can sit in. And if they ask me to talk, I talk. So I, I learned to experience. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she was an interesting teacher, primarily experiential. Not so much that, oh, this, this is the concept, this is the value. Let's go and find out and then talk. And after that, you get questions, you ask me later. Why are we in assessing? Don't ask any questions unless you ask the ass. Yeah, okay. Well, she'll turn to me, what do you think? And I would, I would say, if I'm target, then, then the family would say, it makes sense. If you're not, dead silence. <laughs> you asked the wrong question. <laughs> but that's how I learned. That kind of... And, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I put off on my class. Seven years. Seven years. And wasn't big fanfare. It was just after one Ho'oponopono session. She told me, you ready? You go on your own. <clears throat> and I said, you sure, anything? She told me, if I wasn't sure, I wouldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. You ready? So I've been with her seven years. I mean, I stayed with her until she passed. But uh, all experiential. And then she spent a lot of time with Auntie Malia. Yeah, Auntie Malia was. She was. You want to shut up, Linda? I'll go put her on the other side. Can we take a break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you guys. How you guys first met? I met her when I got hired for the Queen of the Okalani Children's Center in <clears throat> 1970, which was like eons ago. You wasn't even born, Kamaka. Um, she was a case aide at that time, which was a position where they assigned to social workers and they would like, if families had to be picked up to go shopping or to go for a de uh, dental or medical appointment. We provided a service, and she was the case aide that did that. She was much more than a case aide as far as I was concerned, but that was her position. So we got I got assigned uh, students from Molokai that came over to attend Honolulu Community College. There's about five or six, and they're our beneficiaries on that island. So I was assigned that caseload to help the students, to adjust. And then I, <coughs> I asked if Auntie Malia could help me because she knew all the families. So we worked together, uh, working with the students. And technically I was her boss, but I think it was the other way around. <laughs> and then I found out that she spoke Hawaiian. 
So I was getting back into learning it again. So I told her, oh, let's conduct all our interviews together with supervisor, only in Hawaii, and we did. It was more a talk story than a supervisor conference. You know, I talk about what, what needs to be done, <clears throat> and then she would tell me how it's going to be done with the families. And, and very interesting because her background, uh, Hokena, is where she's from. She was Hanai to her grand aunt, I think. And in the household that she lived, there were her, her two aunts and an uncle. And they were el- older. So she learned from Kupunas from the time she was very young. And she was like a Punahele. She had other siblings, I think about six or seven. She was the one who was chosen. So she would help me understand how we would approach these students from Molokai who coming over to Oahu. It's like major cultural difference. And she said, we got to work with the families. We got to get to know the Ohana versus an individualized approach. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, what are your goals? What are your dreams? Blah, blah, blah. Versus why are you here? Is, do you want to be here? And what does your family think about it? And what, what is the best course of action for you? So for from her, I learned beginning to integrate culture in our social work. You know, I, I had, I just was fresh out of graduate school, I had all kind of theories and concepts that I wanted to initiate. And she told me, oh, it's too narrow. You know, it's good that you get in, the, but you got to find out who is this family and what's important to them. So we took that approach, it was a good approach. I mean, these students got to be more like our family than students. And if they didn't make it in at Honolulu Community College, our approach was, you're going to make it somewhere, and we're going to help you. Whether it's back on Molokai, here, but what's the best path for you? And, and I didn't measure success by whether they made it at a college or not. We measure success with them on the either. They want to find one job, then that's what we want to help them. Uh, some of them didn't think education was their pathway. They wanted to work. Maybe the family thought they should, but they wanted to work. So she and I were like colleagues. Um, and through the cost of getting to know her, I was interested in Ho'oponopono. She had done Ho'oponopono. And she was training with Pukui, as well as the Halilua. And there was no conflict in learning from others, mm-hmm. because each had their own style. Did they, did they know that <coughs> you guys were <coughs> Oh, yeah. Before, and they, they talked to each other, the kupunas. Yeah, yeah, they knew each other. And they knew each other. And we would, we would gather socially, play music, drink, talk all in Hawaiian. When time for get serious, it gets serious. These are all her friends, you know. She was she was the younger one, so she would take care of them. But she was a rare individual who maybe were younger than them, but had been raised in the old ways, you know, and and had had that knowledge. And they helped her, you know, build that knowledge up as well as myself. But I wasn't in her level, you know. She she was at a very higher level. Uh, 
So I'd known her from 1970 until she, for almost 40 years, 30-something years. We'd been colleagues, friends, you know, uh, consulted with her. We we did conjoint Ho'oponopono. Uh, then she went on her own. She was teaching through the organi- our organization. She taught mm-hmm. almost <coughs> two, three hundred people. Yeah, I went to... You went to one? Yeah. Um, and at that time, I was a deputy director, so I made sure she had enough resources and staff assigned to her to cuckoo her. Lipoha mm-hmm. and Milikawa'a and Lima de la Cruz. They were actually staff on QLCC. And, and uh, you know, she just grew through the organization from a KC to somebody much more than one KC. Yeah. <laughs> and given the, given the the respect that's due her for the knowledge she had, it evolved, you know. Um, and it got to the point where she was like our agency kukuna. You know, before she passed, she was a kukuna in the organization. But she was very articulate. I mean, you know, we, we spent hours saying, how are we going to teach versus how we were taught? And, and, and coming to terms with, in this day and age, we got to explain more. You know, uh, young people are going to ask you questions where, you know, days they wouldn't ask the questions until you've experienced something, then you ask. But that's what makes, I think, Ho'oponopono viable when you can not so much adjust it, but make it so that it's alive today so people can see the value rather than this ancient practice shrouded with mystery. You know, I can never learn it, but I want to know about it. Well, Pukui always told us this is for families. This is for everybody who wants to learn it can. It's not a mysterious kind of Hawaiian practice, mm-hmm. you know. So the viability today, the future of Ho'oponopono, you see as what, in the, in the I, families? Or yeah, the... families, you know. Um, that's what it was designed for, to enhance families, to set things right. And then as individuals, like my Kauai class, as individuals learn, then they use it in the workplace. They use it to to manage conflict. And I've had people tell me, well, that's not Ho'oponopono, that's that's not pure. I said, you know, I wish we had pure water, you know. But you got to adjust to the times. If it works in your workplace, some of the elements, not all of it, then I think it's a good thing. So my style of teaching is not that you only can function under these circumstances that Ho'oponopono will work. It's true to some extent. On the other hand, some of those concepts of connecting, of helping people face the truth, you can do it in any situation, to me, you know, rather than just limit it to when really isolated, only under these circumstances. Well, that's not how I was taught then. Mm-hmm. You know, like, maybe it's not a full ritual, but can you help this family come to terms with what they the only thing they insist is spirituality, that the family, if they don't believe in that, then you, then you tell them, this is why it's important for us. All of us 
when we come together in behalf of families to set things right, we're standing before higher power so that whatever we do and say is not to make matters worse, but really, truly, our intention is to make it better with the guidance of Kyoko. And, and if people cannot accept that, and I use that term, well, can you accept you look into yourself what you did to others? And can you find forgiveness for yourself? And they say, no. I say, well, then okay, and then, you know. Uh, and the spirituality part, I said, I, I use it. I, it's part of me, so if it offends you, then I, I cannot help you. Mm-hmm. Cannot. So there's times where you guys had to walk away from? from Actually, people. not once. Oh, yeah. People have shunned what we're doing out of anger and not ready to face it. And then later on, most of them have, but not because of the spirituality. Hawaiians by nature, they're spiritual. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I've never had ones where they say, you know what, if you're going to pull it out, I don't want nothing to do with it. Uh, they see what your intentions are first, and it's how you explain it. Uh, kind of like even off the ground. You know, so that everyone here, we, there's someone above us, so we've got to try really hard to settle this. No, I've, I've never had in the... Forty years I've done it. That's good. And then Uncle uh, Danny Hamakahi. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you study with him? He's a very unique man. Uh, one of my dear friends, Nanakuni. Um World War II veteran. Uh, Guadalcanal. All the South Pacific. He was a sergeant out there. Seen. Seen seen and done horrible things as Wall does, had a real knack for uh, working with men, uh, former iron worker, you know, iron workers, this is basically rough guys, I mean, you got to carry iron, um, and when he retired, I heard about him, he was, he was a native speaker, and one of the, Mike Kahikina, who used to work for me. They me, oh, your uncle, my uncle Danny, he speaks Hawaiian. I think you go talk to him. So I mean, can you introduce me to him? And he was very leery of me. Who are you? And well, once I talk Hawaiian to him, he said, Oh, I'm so happy having talked this language or so. So we just got to be good friends. Uh, talk, and then we used to go fishing together. He wouldn't dive, he'd stay at me too. So I go dive. And we cooked the fish. It was, it was just a good fun man to be with. Then I told him, hey, I'm starting one alternative school uh, with the Okalani Trust and Wine Rap Center. I want to put a Hawaiian language component in there, cultural. And you know about Ho'oponopono. He said, oh yeah, Ho'oponopono, our family, we, we do. I said, so I'll help you with the curriculum, everything. And then I hired Haunani Bernardino from University of Hawaii at that time. She was a Hawaiian language teacher, helped him write up his lesson plans. And he became a teacher for us for eight years. And that's how I really got to know him because I was running the program. Uh, watch him, how he worked with kids, particularly the males, particularly the hot and rough males. He was really good with them. You know, they respected him. They were sort of afraid of him, but not quite. Uh, 
gifted knowledge, cultural knowledge. Kamaainatunanakuli, about how they started there. No water, nothing, build their own homes, find all the, uh, what you call, Vaipuna, all the springs. And, but in World War II, he helped, he helped me with some of Vietnam veterans that we were working with, dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress and what he knew about how he worked through his, his mother helped him by having him go back into the tar patch and working the land and mm -hmm. serving others and serving Kiakua. So we used some of his models up at Camp Kaala. That's, that, that's how we started the camp, bringing some of the, our veterans there. We all work in the land. After we finish, we sit down, we will out. And he was an important part of that. Ho'oponopono, uh, he was one guy that I relied on in the community when we did family and inter-family Ho'oponopono because he was respected. And uh, he knew the process, you know, uh, very spiritual man. Um, had been to hell and back to war like many of us. Mm -hmm. and, and able to, he said, like he said, help him cleanse all the, all the inaina that he had to go through. And he helped some of our young men who were, at that time were coming back from Vietnam in the 70s. You know, and they knew him, they heard about him, so, oh, they come. We set rules, gotta do this, no can do that. No weapons, you know, uh, no drugs. You gotta like, do the drug, do them outside, it's up to you, but not, not on this project. And, and was all uh, experiential work-related, not sit down and counsel it. No, they didn't do well with that. But during the course of working, they would talk. Mm -hmm. And they needed to talk about the horrors of war. And since I never go to Vietnam, they talked to him. You know, and he would tell them, it'll take a long time for you to get over that. He said, that's going to be an unwelcome friend in your mind. But you got to learn to live with that, you know, those kind of things. And how you do it, he said, you, if you, if you honey into your family, you hope on a pono, you get one less burden you're carrying in your head. He said, they're real practical, yeah. you know, and they respected him. So, you know, I would, I would help do the whole pono, pono. And, and uh, when people are under traumatic stress, then they lash out to their families and create even more stress. But the working, physical, doing something, feeding themselves, we go there, we cook our own food, and we'll find it from the, wherever we stay. From the I know. Yeah, find <laughs> I'd say guys go hunt, we set traps for pigs, catch them, and we smoke them, salt them, so they last. And then after, Pauhana, we get some luau leaves, so we grow best, and then assign guys to cook the meal, palm poe. In the doing, you heal, eh? mm -hmm. and then the men talk after they pow. When they're eating, then they talk. Oh, I got time. I come here, I feel safe. Uh, are you in handle a kind? Coming back here and still in your mind racing in the wall. Uncle Danny would say, oh, 
film took me one year for not be jumpy you know real experiential deep yeah, yeah, experience yeah. and then you get disagreements among stop the action and do hoponopono you know with the men there clear rules and he's the kupuna so and he was pretty strong physically and said we can't do that we can't hurt each other <coughs> um, very effective working with adults male adults um, different different style of hoponopono which was sometimes very assertive. They all feel that one. When you're doing it wrong, stop it. <laughs> but effective, very effective, and and also knew how to how to have a good time, not only serious dealing with you know profound kind of mental issues as a result of war. He said, you, sometimes you got to put that on the side and enjoy the people around you. You know, that balance. Uh. Yeah. So he worked with me for eight years. <coughs> good job. And, and I got to be a good friend. And uh, he helped me with community when there was community issues. We, we would, if they agree, we call our principals together and try to work it out. So being that you was with um, the Little Okanagan Trust all those years and whatnot, you know, working with a lot of like the kids, how would you explain like Ho'oponopono to to the Keiki in today's, you know, in 2000, what are we, 2018 right now? It cannot be on a conceptual level. <laughs> um, you know, an example, the school that I ran. One kid would look at the other one. You know, just look at them, and they like fight, stink eye. So we'd stop, stop the action. Or one kid would make a pass at one of the girls, a demeaning pass, showing disrespect. And we stop the action, and we talk about, what if that was your sister? Would you like somebody to do that to her? You know, that kind. Yeah. And teach them respect by their behavior, tie it to their behavior. Um, the opportunities to work, like, well, I had a captured audience. This is an alternative school. But regardless, even in a family, most of our kids, depends on what age they are, the kids have disagreements. It's how you handle the disagreement. They're going to make a difference whether this family can harbor anger towards each other or work this small thing out. So you really don't focus on the term ho'oponopono versus things that are happening now are making you guys really angry at each other. So how can we understand what's happening and find ways where we can resolve this? That That's the approach. Well, she took my, she took something from me find the truth. Well, I took because he took from me. So if he take from you, you take from him, when is this going to stop? Pretty soon you can punch her, you can punch you. When is this stop? Your family. Let's start with the first one. You take, 
Yeah. Why? He was there. No, that's not good. Have a mess forgiveness. I mean, mm. okay, is it over? Yeah, it's over. You guys don't bring it up again. No. Okay, next one. You know, it's like you're peeling that onion. Yeah, yeah. Make it Practical, related to behavior, disagreements, or, you know, they've done something wrong. They don't want to know about harmony in the family. They're like, they're like, no, how are we going to solve this? And then you talk about it makes, it makes harmony in the family. Um, I had families where the families want to move, teenagers don't. Father said, too bad. You guys are going. I need the job. Whole family disarray. Mm-hmm. You know, how you handle that. You can say, oh, pono pono. Or you can say, you know what? Things are not right in this family. Let's, you guys want to set it right. Let's try. Later on, you tell them, that is what Ho'oponopono is. Mm-hmm. Until they start incorporating that term in their head, and it is an avenue of conflict resolution in the family. But it's based on experience rather than just what I said. If I right off the bat, I tell them, you know, we're going to do Ho'oponopono. What is that? But if you help them anyway, then you say, this is what it means, you know. When we kukulukumahana, everybody pray and say, we're all getting affected by this, so can you help us understand what's going on? The learning comes faster. Mm-hmm. It's integrated. So it's, it's more of an approach like for today, it will work if they, that's what they want. I very seldom use the terms in the beginning, you know. Uh, I use terms that they understand. Like, most of them know what honey, you know, doing doing something bad to somebody. But we got to set this right, but it's not right. You walk around, you're angry like hell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then later on, especially if there's positive results, you can tell them, this is what ponopono, the terms mean. You say, oh, for you. That's what it means for you. Then you can see the integrating in it. You know. But you tell them up front sometimes. They lose it on sometimes. Yeah. Too much. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, they use it and they ask you to speak for half an hour on the terms, which they're not listening. They just want to delay action. Yeah. Then you can explain, Uncle, what does that mean? I said, well, let's wait until we go through it and we see what to do. <laughs> Versus, tell me, tell me. They don't know, actually. They want to get out of there. So with the kids today, it's, I mean, you, you just got to figure out what you got in front of you. You know, there's no easy recipe. Uh, you want to engage them. You want them to Tell you things. Participate in the process. Yeah. That's where your skill comes in. You know what? I don't want anything to do with this family. Tell me I open my mouth, they freaking, you know, they think I'm the black sheep. And that's where you stop. You say, you talk to me, nobody else talk. And then whatever that person, and then you stop and you say, who heard, who heard this? And you start, what did you hear? Oh, I heard him bitching. What else did you hear? 
When you say that's all, I say, well, you never heard enough. I'm going to play back what I think. And I play back. I say, is this what he said? Yeah. Well, he said that he's feeling like all of you are jamming on him because of what he did. And nobody else can be involved. I just, I said, did you hear that? Well, yeah, I heard some of that. Okay. What part do you play in you feeling that way? Well, I, I judge him real fast. You see how I'm, I'm, I'm working with them. And he said, but yeah, he, he does things that make you angry. Well, you do the same thing. This thing is like, I said, you guys see that kind of firework that one circle, that thing just keeps going and going and going, but it's only explodes. I said, you guys are going to be firework, right? Everything is then going, Wah. I said, we stop it and find out what you can do to stop this. We'll get back to him and what he can do. And then go to the next one. The main thing is nobody else jump in. Yeah, yeah, got to control that yeah, yeah. conversation. And, and to settle it, okay, next one. What about you? So there's a control. Mm-hmm. And, and that's then, part of being the, the haku and taking... Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Being the haku, taking that and eliciting the good responses and the bad, but putting it in the right context. So that they can see where this can strengthen your family and set some rules, you know, and, and say, don't get time for you guys to work this out. Every week we come here, save it, don't blow and make things worse. Mm-hmm. And, but it's fundamental to everyday kind of life. Works for today. If I didn't have the relationship with them, they wouldn't, you know. They just say, okay, uncle, next week see you, and then nobody home when you get there. <laughs> that, that's how best I can explain how does it apply to our kids today. Well, fundamentally, conflict, there's always conflict. It doesn't have to be conflict that ruins families, though. It's the nature. So you help them manage it, you know, and, and uh, that they have remedies. There are some remedies. It's always good for people to know is that there is remedies to a lot of these problems. Yeah, yeah. And, and they say, well, what is it? And so then you say, well, let's go find together what it is. Even if you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's go look at it together. It's good if the remedies come from. And then sometime I lecture and I say, well, these are some of the concepts about how you settle issues. You got like no Western issue, but. Hawaiian way, these are the ways. Do you guys see this in your family? And then some would say, well, it looks like it would work. I don't think it would work. Okay, if you don't think, well, what do you think would work? I don't know. Do you want something to work? Not right now. I'm angry at him. I said, so how can we get past that anger? you got to ask forgiveness. I said, okay. We go, and I come back to him. I said, do you think you have any part in this? No, nothing. It's all him. I said, I don't think so. <laughs> then I give it. I said, it's take two to tango. And I'll give you examples of what I've seen. You know, it, it's, a, it's a process of mihi. And what did you do either by uh, 
but not doing nothing or doing something. Mm. You know, you, you can do worse by not doing nothing. But you're part of one family, so you get responsibility. Even you're just sitting there chewing on your gum and you're thinking, oh, these guys, they're all a bunch of assholes. They, they're making a problem, not me. I said, sorry, but you're part of, you're part of the family. But not doing nothing, you're contributing. It's that realization that, you know, you kind of just up out. And, and that's why Ho'oponopono is family-based, you know. Uh, but I kind of say that to kids sometimes unless they, they get respect for me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, I, I do things with them alone, you know, getting them in spots or stuff like that. In the meantime, really analyzing them, seeing where the strengths are. Um, because in traditional Hawaiian families, it was the head of the family that did it. And he knew every strength and weakness of the whole family. And he was able to, he or she was able to bring the best out of it. That's why the position was a position of high mana. Because you cannot be somebody that you favor one or favor the other. You gotta look for the best interests of everybody. That's why the Punahele's were trained early to look that way. What happened was a lot of, of Punahele were giving the, you know, the recognition, but not the training. So you get a whole bunch of small brats, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we got to make sure that our, our next, yeah, generation next generation has the training and not the... You get the responsibility and the training that goes along with the, you know, treated special. Rather than just treated special and getting all the goodies. Well, any final thoughts on, um, you know, for those, you know, a lot of these little kupa is for the next generation, you know, and making sure that our practices continue to thrive on the practice of Ho'oponopono, our Hawaiian healing practices, um, that, you know, our, our future generation know how valuable and important it was. And mahalo for touching on a lot of those points, the mm-hmm. spiritual component of it, the importance yeah. of pule. You know, so that we can always remember um, the importance of our ohanas and pule. Any final words? I, I, you know, I'm one grandfather, and I look at my grandchildren, and I just feel, I feel planning so much aloha for them. And and at the same time, uh, for lack of a better word, nervousness of what they got to face in the changing times of our culture. But then... I remember asking my mother this question. I said, Ma, I wasn't born when World War II started over here. I was born in 45, but she had four children already. I said, what was it like to, to, to be under a situation where you don't know if we, we're going to get uh, conquered or attacked or what? And I said, how, how did you guys survive, Ma? She told me, we all pulled together. She said, our community of Kekaha, she said, the Japanese, the Portuguese, we protected our Japanese families. They were like our, they our friends and our Hana, like so. She said, without all of us, we couldn't make it. So, shortage of food, whatever, they all had victory gardens. They all raised pigs. They shared the food. The Portuguese had the forno, which is the outdoor brick oven. Twice a week, everybody could bring their 
their bread or their stew and bake all the food there. The man would provide the cavalry wood. She said, it's because we are Aloha for each other that we, we can survive. Two one, one time was scary and, you know, uh, we don't know if Japan was going to take over us, but we know the people, our Japanese friends are our family. And, and I think about that and I think about what my grandchildren are going to face. Well, they get Aloha for each other and not only themselves, but the community. I think they can, they, they can face it and they get Kyokua. How they face it? Well, since they're so te- technologically advanced, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things like land trusts for our children who no can afford that they can stay on this aina, irrespective of their race, color, or creed. We like, we like our generations to stay here and grow from this aina. So I said, yeah, I, I look at my grandson, Kaylee. You know, they, they think too fast. They come up with fast solutions. But you know what? Faster than us. So I think they will survive in this world. As long as they get the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Aloha for each other. Aloha for their family. And respect for other people, other races. Uh, they give a chance. My parents, even us, we face just as bad things. I mean, my wife and I got married. The Civil Rights Act wasn't enacted. You know, the, the one where you, you can marry outside your race. I got married in 1966. And parts of the United States, we couldn't go. I would get jailed. And it was a hard time. Well, we made it through. You know what I mean? I think our kids will. As long as they have look back to what your kupunas taught you. But don't be stuck in that knowledge. Use it to adjust what's coming ahead. That, that's my last words. Mahalo. You know. Yeah, well, thank you, Uncle Dennis, and also for our, our classes, you know, I hope all the mm-hmm. class been enjoying the past few years of the conversation in our class and hearing all those stories. So, mahalo, Nui, for your uh, dedication to our people. Mahalo, Nui. Well, mahalo to you and your organization for you know, saving this information for, for the generations to come. Uh, you know, each generation has, technology has, has really opened up, I think, our culture, and it, as long as we do it in a good way. So I think what you guys are doing are tremendous. And, and information should be available to everybody. It's the way I feel about the Nana Ikikumu tapes, 600 of them. It should be public information, redacted way in this case. But this is beautiful information in there, you know? Like how I think this will help out that. So it's a good thing what you guys are doing, I think. Really a good thing, and I appreciate it. Right on. Mahalo Anui once again to our guest today, Anakala Dennis Kawahi, for joining us on Leo Kupa. Mahalo to all our listeners. Leo Kupa is produced by myself and Mr. Kovika Brown. Please share this podcast with your ohanas. Share this um, with the community. Subscribe to our mailing list at huimauliola.org. Check us out on the socials, Instagram, and Facebook. If you got any questions or comments, please kahea mai. Mahalo for the stories and leo kupa today. Anakala Dennis. Aloha.
From Dennis Kawahi, Oao Kamakanui Hailono, Ola, Ekea Kua Maunaloa La Ilalo Ke Kai, Nao Makua Ya Kahina Kua, Ya Hina Alo, Kaikina, Komohana Nakupuna, Mahalo Pia, Eho Mai Ka Ike, Kaikaika, Kamana Ke Ola, Mania Uko, Mania Mako, Nia Ka Ko, Ama Ma Ua Noa, Eho Omana, Noe. Yeah, Wide range of questions. We may not cover all, but as things come up, one of the things that Pukui taught us, if you want to learn from someone, is you ask them a thousand questions. And she said, then he will kick her mind in gear and she can remember. And those, those knowledge will come out. And if she doesn't have that knowledge, she say, well, I'm not sure about that. But if you don't ask the questions, he said, she kind of just sit there and tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get the questions to help her. And, and I feel the same way. It's just as long as, you know, and I tell people that ask me questions, as long as you, you're not ho'oyo or disrespectful or maho'oyo, how you ask the questions? So you, you think through your questions first. <laughs> because Kupuna, they don't like people who... Mahoi is means you ask questions that are um, disrespectful of all. You know you're not supposed to ask all. Oh, uncle, how come you got people so much time? You know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, that's, that's when the, the most Kupunas will just kind of freak out.